everybody, this is Matt Walrath, and you are listening to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show where we break down all of the things you can do outside of your training to get leaner, stronger, and perform better. In today's show, we are going to talk about one of the hottest topics in the CrossFit performance world right now. That topic is breath work. The Wim Hof method has taken the world by storm. And Brian McKenzie's research and his Art of Breath seminars have been doing the work to bring breathwork into the awareness of CrossFit athletes around the world. Pacific Regionals champion James Newberry has also talked quite a bit about the importance he places on working in as well as working out, and his working in includes a breathing practice. Interestingly, despite the fact that breathing and breathwork have become such a popular topic just right now in the world of CrossFit and fitness, freedivers, high-altitude mountaineers, and yogis have been exploring the breath and its relationship to physical performance for decades, centuries, and millennia. I've been experimenting with different breathwork modalities for the past few years, and as the topic has infiltrated the CrossFit world, I have only become more interested. So I decided to reach out to Christina Macias of Primal Coding to get a fresh perspective on the topic of breath. Christina is an exercise physiologist and breath researcher who also happens to have a deep yoga practice, including kundalini yoga, which has a major breath component. Christina told me that she is working to use her education that is grounded in science to translate the ancient yogi wisdom into a language that is accessible for athletes, firefighters, and the everyday person. So they were very much my teachers uh, of how to translate this thing. And, And that being said, too, again, yoga isn't a bad thing, but we have to learn how to translate this thing into many different forms. I asked Christina if she could go back in time and tell herself five years ago how she could optimally sequence her learning process about breath, what would that look like? And there was just one simple thing that she said she would recommend doing to start out. So I introduce the four corners of the breath. And so the four corners are the inhale, box breath is something that I think that people are are common, it's common now, I think. So I inhale out the box, I hold across the top, I exhale down, and I hold across the bottom. And so this is the foundational foundational structure of of a breathing pattern. This is going to be seen in every single breath you take, this occurs. Whether the holds are shorter, the holds are longer, right? Or the inhale's longer, the exhale's longer. I mean, that kind of deforms the shape of the box in your mind, right? But you're just playing with these four sides and you're kind of pulling them in each direction. And all parts of this box have its benefits, right? My inhale will increase my heart rate. If I'm comfortable in my hold, it can lower my heart rate even more than my exhale. And so my exhale will lower my heart rate, but then the bottom hold that from exhale to inhale, that's another very, very powerful place. So all of these four aspects of the breath hold so much power, but most people just know it as this one breath or just the inhale and exhale. So we need to start creating a more detailed awareness of each part of the breath, like the anatomy, right? If I know the anatomy and know how it functions, then wow, I can explore from there. 
Christina also discussed with me many of the issues she sees people have with breathing. As we just discussed with the box breath, there are really the four corners of the breath. You have the inhale, that holding the breath in the lungs. You have the exhale, and then leaving the breath out of the lungs. Those are the four corners of the breath. And she sees that people who are talking all day at work, or people who have anxiety, or people who are overweight tend to have problems with or more of the corners of the breath. So I asked Christina what people can do to kind of take a nice breath assessment. And here is an assessment that Christina gave us to use your breath capacity to assess your health. And this assessment can also serve as a marker for where you need to make improvements in your breath through your practice. What I see in people who, who tend to have anxiety or, um, or overweight, um, their transition from exhale and hold to inhale is very short. There's no awareness in it and they gasp for air. So it's instead of exhaling all the air out and just for a moment holding it. And then the inhale is so quiet. It's almost like the inhale just happened. And most people don't know what that experience is. They don't know what it feels like to just naturally, to let the air fall in. Because ultimately that's what's happening, right? It's not me pulling air in when I inhale. It's the pressure from outside of me pushing in to my lungs, right? And then my exhale will gently engage and press the air out. And then if my, if my exhale is working correctly, my exhale will literally uh, is like a suction for, and pulling the air in. And so what they'll do is they'll small breath in, small breath out, pinch the nose, and then they'll say, how long can you hold it? So if you can hold your breath out for 20 seconds, Um, you probably have some type of inflammation. You may have asthma. You may have a heart disease. If you have a control pause, if you can only hold your breath out for 10 seconds, you probably have something severe, some type of severe ailment. Um, the average person probably between or can only hold their breath out at the end of an exhale for 20 to maybe 30 seconds. 30 seconds, you're like, you're good. You're, you probably have some aches and pains and like, and, and even affects your desire for food too. They talk about that. As you improve your oxygenation level, um, you will desire these uh, junk foods uh, less. That does make sense. So when you release the nose on this controlled pause test, it should be in a relaxed state. You shouldn't have that air hunger, as you mentioned. Exactly. Okay, so f- like 30 to 45 seconds of a calm, controlled pause, that's showing that you're in a, in a pretty good state. You're oxygenated. After learning from Christina's experience where the biggest issues with the breath lie for most people and how someone can assess and benchmark their breathing patterns, I was curious to learn about what she would prescribe for somebody who has a typical stressful day where maybe they're commuting to work, you know, they're spending some time at work and it's a little bit stressful, then they're commuting to the gym after work, and when they show up to the gym, they're in that kind of negative, sympathetic nervous system state that she talked about, Um, and I wanted to just know, what can someone do with their breathing, with their breath, in order to get themselves into a better nervous system state? and primed and ready for exercise. I would have them lengthen their exhales. Any time that I lengthen my exhale, whether it's five seconds, 10 seconds, 15, 20 seconds, and then I pause at the bottom and then I can just 
let the air fall in. I'm not going to try to count my inhale at the moment if it depends on where they're at. A lot of times I'll have them exhale for 10, inhale for five. I kind of start with that ratio. If you can do that for say three minutes, exhale for 10, inhale for five, um, you should bring your body into a calm state. I was hearing what Christina was saying about how you would want to calm your nervous system down after work so that you don't pile stress on during exercise. But in my mind, most people want to get hyped up for a workout. For me, I like to drink a coffee and hit the assault bike hard before I train so that I am in a sympathetic state so that I can perform my best. If being in a sympathetic state is bad before a workout, why do we see elite athletes getting hyped before big games and events? And why are pre-workout supplements one of the most popular categories of supplements? There's a difference between being in a sympathetic state in a positive emotion and being in a sympathetic state in a negative emotion. And that difference is either vasodilation or vasoconstriction, right? I can have proper blood flow if my body is safe in the sympathetic. I can have, you know, too high of blood pressure, you know, and like it can be, uh, my workouts can be adding tension to my body and adding on trauma. I did that for many years. I worked out and I was hiding things with my muscle as opposed to opening up and like releasing and discovering parts of myself with, uh, with my movement and my breath. After hearing from Christina about how to prepare the nervous system for a CrossFit class and warming up your breath by breathing through the nose, uh, I wanted to get her perspective about how she would use the breath differently during, let's say, gymnastic skill work versus weightlifting versus a really intense Metcon. And interestingly, she pointed out that trying to observe and control your breath takes energy from other things. So she got into how to, you know, initially observe your breath and control your breath as a practice to eventually just let the breath naturally know what to do. When we work with the box and we have these holds in between the breath, it prevents hyperventilation. The second that I shorten these spaces between my inhale and exhale, it increases my sympathetic state and it will cause a more hyperventilated state. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I lengthen those holds. So when I'm uh, doing a pull-up, I'll like inhale at the bottom and kind of hold, press up to the top and then exhale, you know, on the way yeah. down. Then this is a simple pattern. So and when I first start to work with, with people in strength, we are going to acknowledge and I want you to focus on the breath. But then there comes to a point in your practice where you need to trust your breath. Yeah. You need to trust that you've showed it all of its options of where to go. Like, I know I can breathe just into my left lung and just into my right. I know I can breathe into just the bottom of my hip, like that space below my belly button. If we just put it, our, my, my to- cut our torso into quadrants. I know that I can isolate my breath in these areas. I know that I can exhale for 10, inhale for 10. I know I can exhale for 20, inhale for 20. I know I have all these different patterns that my body can pull from automatically in that moment. So I I find that in a strength move, if I seal my lips and I trust my breath and I watch what it wants to do, that's the key. After Christina and I discussed how to breathe during movement, and really just how the breath knows what to do during movement. I wanted to know what people need to do after they're done training to calm their nervous system back down so they can transition back into whatever they need to do. Go back to work, go to their families, or just calm down so that later on in the day they can go to sleep. 
Her recommendation was simple. Just breathe through your nose and then get back to that parasympathetic breathing pattern. So doing some box breathing um, and really just taking less total breaths per minute. So uh, lengthening each of the four corners of the breath. People really underestimate the power of nose breathing. <laughs> really, they do. And or people don't even realize how much they don't nose breathe. I highly recommend, it would behoove you, to take some hypoallergenic tape, <laughs> right? And just during the day while you're working, just put a little piece of tape on your mouth. And I want you to notice how often you feel the urge to even just slit the lips open just a little bit. So the power of even taking three minutes post-workout to breathe just in and out through the nose. That being said, I can... Um, Go back to the box breath. When in doubt, breathe a box. That is literally the go-to skill. And continuing with our hypothetical athlete who is moving through their training day. They've gone to work. They've used breath to get themselves primed for exercise. They've breathed through their exercise. They've used breath to get themselves transitioning back into daily life. Now I'm curious, if that athlete's about to eat a recovery meal, is there anything that they can do with the breath to maybe assimilate the nutrients a little bit better or get the most out of their food? And what Christina had to say initially is that um, the Russian Buteko method has observed that their students have reduced food cravings as they increase their time on the controlled pause test that we talked about earlier. But Christina said that's simply correlation, and she doesn't personally know any physiological basis for why that happens to occur. What I did find interesting about Christina's perspective is the importance of eating while your nervous system feels safe. So when our body is in a sympathetic state, it is in a state of alertness. Is it, my brain is on watch, right? My, my gut signals to my brain like, hey, yeah. we feel like something's happening. Can you, can you go ahead and check that out? And then the brain goes, my eyes look around and go, okay, well, that song's playing. I'm eating this food. This is happening. So, and then it goes down and goes, hey, so next time, so the, the brain goes, hey, next time we feel these things, will you let us know so that we know we're in a sympathetic state? That makes sense, yeah. right? So this brain is just inputting and imprinting trauma, yeah. right? So even the little traumas, even like my boss yelling at me while I'm eating, he's like, Ugh. so our body now goes, oh, well, we were just eating this food while our boss was yelling at us. That's a little trauma. So if we continue to repeat eating this food in this trauma, quote unquote, state, my body is probably going to have a negative like association with this food over time. Christina went on to discuss more examples of situations how food can become associated with traumas. And she gave us a few suggestions about how to create an eating environment that is more conducive to recovery. And just to clarify, when Christina mentioned social engagement in this next segment, she is talking about the nervous system feeling as though it is safe. Let's sit with our food and let's like take a moment. Let's, you know, even like touching my food and making my food myself and like communing with my food, you know, like chopping up, you know, the nutrients. Like, and I am holding this food, like that's a relationship and that's, I'm calm. And so now when I'm eating my food, I'm in a joyous state. I'm not watching the news. I'm not watching Game of Thrones. I'm not watching, you know, cause even in those actions too, my body is, <laughs> 
is in an alert state. Yeah. And when we're in this alert state, there is no healing happening. Your body will not heal as efficiently if I'm always in this state. Healing only happens with this healing only happens in social engagement. All right. So we followed our hypothetical athlete all the way through their day. It's the end of the day. And now they're getting ready to go to sleep. We've already learned a lot about how you can use your breath to drop into a safe nervous system state, but I was wondering if there's a way that you could use breath to actually improve your sleep quality or just to get to sleep a little bit easier. When I first started to lecture with the fire and police, um, the first thing I would tell them, and I got this from Kundalini Yoga, that Kundalini talked about um, if I breathe a certain amount of breaths per minute, Um, And I calculated it. So if I were to inhale for five and exhale for five, I would actually activate my pituitary gland or access these, this, this part of my brain. If I were to inhale for 10 seconds and exhale for 10 seconds, meaning this certain amount of breaths per minute uh, over, you know, a couple of minutes, um, I would activate my pineal gland. The pineal gland is what really regulates melatonin. Now, like I understand that uh, melatonin is really regulated also by the light you get through your eyes, um, through nutrition. I mean, there's lots of different aspects. But that being said, this is what, you know, I was I was teaching. And um, I would just say, hey, if you can inhale for 15, exhale for 15, you know, you're coming back from a call and you especially if you're an ambulance driver, you have to be up. You are up and you are driving that ambulance or you are taking care and giving these person shots and this and that. If you're a firefighter, you know, like you can be half asleep still because you got the truck and you're, yeah. you're, not, you're not fired a fire. I'm not lessening what they do, but yeah. I mean, this is coming from their mouths, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I would have them breathe in for 15, out for 15. So I lectured, I come back a year later, I'm like doing the treadmill test for this guy and he's sitting at the end. He goes, yeah, I remember you did that uh, breathing workshop, you know, or that breathing thing. And I was like, yeah, I tried it. I, I was like, I couldn't sleep. And at this point, I was like, okay, well, she taught me this thing. I might as well try it. Last resort. <laughs> um, and he goes, yeah, I, I started to count. And I got an inhale for 15, exhale for 15. And the next next thing I knew, I woke up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, it actually really works. I think you're on to something. Yeah. But that being said, if 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 breathing for long periods of time increases the sympathy, it makes it makes people more anxious. Yeah. Going back to the small breaths. And I know I keep saying the same thing for all these answers, but you know what? It's really that freaking simple. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Macros podcast. I want to give a huge thanks to Christina Macias for coming on the show. If you want to learn more about her work, you can check her out at primalcoding.com, subscribe to her YouTube channel, Primal Coding, or follow her on Instagram at Primal Coding. I highly recommend following her as she will be moving to Spain in October to conduct research with climbers related to breath and performance. There should be some amazing content coming out of her corner. Next week on the Beyond Macros podcast, we will have part two of our nutrient timing series. I will be discussing the secret weapon many elite athletes in the CrossFit world are using, how to use carbohydrates to recover better, and whether or not you need high glycemic carbohydrates around your workout. Make sure you subscribe now to the Beyond Macros podcast to get that episode when it drops. 
And I would also be super grateful if you would leave us a review on iTunes and share this episode with a friend who you think will benefit from learning how to use the breath to perform and recover better. See you next week.